Welcome to the Hopeful Birth Podcast. I'm Jessie Shelto, your host for the next little bit, while we make a new friend and hear her birth story. Birth has affected my life in profound ways, and I'm not just talking about the new little person that comes into rock my world. Birth has shaped how I engage with my Heavenly Father, and I hope it does the same for you. So whether you're preparing for a birth and wanting to learn more about your options for moms who have been there and done that, or are processing through a previous birth, I pray that the Father makes his heart for you and your baby evident as you listen. In this episode number four, we're hearing from Sarah Mutter. Sarah is a mom to four kiddos. She's a personal friend of mine, and hearing her birth stories years ago was fuel to the fire that has become my love for birth. Hearing them again for this interview was a gift, and I hope you feel the same. Sarah had two of her babies in freestanding birth centers and two in the hospital with midwives. Her fourth birth involved a NICU stay. So if you've ever had any questions about what NICU's like or have been a NICU parent yourself, I recommend paying close attention to Cedar's birth story. And stay tuned for a bonus episode that I'm going to drop later this week as Sarah shares some advice for NICU parents. Please note that we do discuss pregnancy and infant loss as well as premature birth in this episode. So if your heart is tender in that area or you've been struggling with fears recently, you may want to hold off on listening to this episode for a little bit. Later on in the episode, we're going to hear from Abby Groves of Rejoicing Through Birth Doula Service, LLC. Abby is a birth and postpartum doula serving the upstate of South Carolina, primarily Greenville and Spartanburg counties. Now, Even though I'm a birth geek, please remember that my guests and I are not medical professionals and continue seeing your provider and seeking their counsel for your care. But without further ado, here are Sarah's birth testimonies. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. This is so sweet. This is really funny because this is the first in-person podcast that I've done, so they've all been on the computer, so it's nice to sit with someone face-to-face. It's good to be here. Yay. Mm-hmm. So Sarah is one of my friends from my time at college, and we've known each other for mm, over 10 years, yeah, probably. Yeah, more than a decade. That's wild. <laughs> and so I'm just really grateful that she's able to share some of her stories with us. She was one of the first moms that I had an opportunity to mm-hmm. learn from as a young college student, single, no marriage prospects on the horizon. <laughs> But I really just wanted to absorb everything I could about being a wife and a mom. And so I spent a lot of time sitting under Sarah and watching her and learning from her. So I'm grateful she can, she can share her stories. That's so kind. Yeah. Thanks for all that free babysitting. Oh yeah. That was, that was on job training. Actually, one of our other friends said, um, she said that babysitting was uh, really good birth control because she had three, well, three yeah. kids at a time. Yeah, also that, also that. So will you introduce us to your family? Oh, yeah. Um, So my husband, Brian, and I have been married for 10 years now. That makes me feel a little old, doesn't it? Mm. Um, My oldest daughter is, uh, my oldest is Ruby. Um, She's nine. And then I have three sons. Ransom is seven. Banner is five. And Cedar is almost two. So we are going to talk a little bit about, I guess, just kind of a short summary of each of the births, but a highlight, especially on one in particular, that's um, meaningful to you. Okay. (laughs) Um, Would you want to start off and tell us a little bit about Ruby and about welcoming her? Yeah. Um, I brought my little resources down. 
Um, so it's so, I love that you're, um, just creating space for positive birth story exchange, because that's what initially influenced me to just view birth as a positive thing, as something that could be beautiful, that could be spiritual, that didn't have to feel like I was at the mercy of someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a feeling just in general in life I don't do well with. <laughs> I think you know that. So um, so my sister, my older sister actually um, had had three children by the time I got married and she had had really beautiful birth center births for the first two and then a home birth with my nephew and he was like almost 11 pounds and mm. uh, she just rocked it out. And that really influenced me in a way um, and actually none of my friends had had in hospital births, none of my close friends who'd had kids. So I just had this perspective that like, this is a good thing. This is positive. My body can do this, however it does it. And we're going to rock it. So Brian and I got married. We got pregnant four months into our marriage mm. and that was a wonderful surprise, <laughs> but definitely a surprise. And I, I used a couple of different preparatory um, reading materials mm. for birth. Brian and I did a long distance Bradley method class. And I, I loved the way that that method talked about the emotional signposts mm. of birth, that emotion can tell you so much about where your body is. Mm -hmm. And I'll say with all of my births, I found them to be wildly accurate, wow. like really interesting. Um, and it was so cool that Brian participated with me in that education. Um, and then I had been given a book called, um, supernatural childbirth. Had you, have you ever heard of that? Uh -huh. Okay. And I know it's controversial in the birth world and I totally understand why, like I totally get it. Um, cause I know for some people it can feel like you're being set up for potential failure. Um, but I, what I drew from that book was that fear does not have to play a part in this experience one way or the other, mm -hmm. and that I had the opportunity to release fear to Jesus and to let that be replaced with peace and love and just trust that he um, is with me start to finish. And uh, I will say though, I've had friends who've had completely pain-free births. None of mine were, and it's mm -hmm. fine. <laughs> God bless my friends. I hope they enjoyed that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, it served me so well with her. She was my hardest birth. I don't know. Was it 21 hours of intensity? She was posterior. I pushed for three hours. Mm -hmm. At one point, my midwife, you know, laid her hand on me and just started praying. And I could, now I can look back and say like, oh, she was really, she saw that I was suffering. Like mm -hmm. it was intense. Um, but Ruby was born and uh, healthy, screaming, beautiful. And it was intense and it was really hard, but I was so grateful that I had leaned into that concept of fear um, and just releasing fear and like practicing that, Be not just for my birth, but it has served me in parenthood mm. every day, maybe <laughs> um, with a lot of things. So when Ruby was two, she would have been two. Was she two? She was like 18 months. Um, I really felt the Lord say, 
that I would be getting pregnant in June of that year. Like I'd really been praying about it. So June of that year, I get pregnant, you know, second positive pregnancy test, super excited. Um, really felt like just a lot of God's presence in it. Um, and then I had a miscarriage at eight weeks, a pretty traumatic miscarriage. We had had an ultrasound like the week before, saw baby had, um, I saw the heart, all of that heartbeat, and then had a miscarriage the next week. And it was just so traumatic. I mean, it just broke me in half. And I was so angry at the Lord because I felt like, Lord, you told me this was going to happen. And, and I got pregnant. Here's this baby. And now I'm going through this grief and sorrow of losing this child. And I was so just devastated. So the week after I miscarried my mom, or a week or two, my mom and I, and Ruby flew up to visit my sister in Michigan just to kind of get my mind off things. I was not doing well. I mean, I can admit that. Um, and when we're in my sister's kitchen and I'm walking past her calendar and I hear the voice of the Lord say, when do you want to get pregnant again? And my reply, my very faith filled reply was, um, that's not funny. Like, don't kid around with me. Like, that's not funny. Like, like, oh, like that's how you talk to the Lord. Um, and I just heard the Lord say again, like, what day do you want to get pregnant? And I was just so angry and he knew that. Right. Um, so I looked at the calendar and I pointed to a day and it was like a week later. I was like, I want to get pregnant this day. Cause I didn't think I could, um, long story short, I got pregnant that day and was just in disbelief and we go for an early ultrasound again and we see baby, we see heartbeat, so good. And then in about eight weeks, I have all the symptoms of miscarriage, going for an ultrasound and we're told by the tech that the baby's a blighted ovum, that the baby stopped developing and that my body was miscarrying again. And I was so angry. I was just like, Lord, like, I feel like you have um, promised me something twice, very clearly, something that I wasn't particularly even seeking, you know? Um, and you took it away. Like, this is not okay. This hurts. So I had a follow-up ultrasound the next week and, um, Brian was out of town and I just wanted to go by myself. Like I was just in such a bad place, but my mom, <laughs> forced her way in and was like, no, I'm coming. You're not going alone. So I went and talked to an OB because they were concerned that I had something going on, um, to have that happening in such rapid succession. They sent me into the little ultrasound room and my mom's in the waiting room and the tech comes in and she starts doing her thing. And she's like, okay, so here's your uterus. Okay. And here's the baby. And okay, here's the heartbeat and da da da. And I was like, and I looked at her and said, don't play with me. Like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, aren't you here for an early ultrasound? And I was, I said, no, like I'm here because I was told I miscarried a baby. She said, honey, no, you didn't miscarry a baby. Like, look here, he, here, well, he, now we know here's your baby. And I was just a mess, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, just a mess in a good way. Couldn't stop crying. Texted my mom. She came in, she was a mess you know, just mm -hmm. praising the Lord. And we just felt like we had experienced this really intense miracle because we had seen the baby, seen the heartbeat, then had all this happen 
then seeing that the baby wasn't there. And then a week later, there he was. Mm. So with him, we we chose to name him Ransom because that means redeemed and bought back. We just felt like he was a sign and a wonder to us and towards testifying towards the redemptive power of Christ. And he still is. So his birth was um, at Blessed Births with Amy Leland. And my sister had had her second with her. And um, it was just this wonderful full circle moment. I was having this wonderful, peaceful scenario, like progressing, but I'd stalled out a little at five because that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, she came, I mean, I'm just praying through stuff and just having a really good hippie moment. And she came in and said, uh, you are too comfortable right now. I'm going to turn the lights on. You're going to walk around and do a full squat every time you have a contraction and we'll, we'll check you in an hour. <laughs> and that was one of the hardest hours of my life. <laughs> Um, but my mom and Brian just like, they're the best birth team. Like my husband could be a doula. He never would want to be, but he could be. (laughs) He absolutely, like he's amazing. And my mom's amazing. She does doula work as well. And so did that for an hour. She checked me. I was almost 10, got in the pool, pushed that baby out maybe 30 minutes in about 30 minutes. But I will always again, remember you know, it was that intense moment of like, you're almost there. You're so exhausted. You haven't slept in months. And my midwife just laid her hand on my belly between contractions and just started declaring scripture and just praying over me and, and interceding and asking the Lord to give me extra strength because I needed it, you know? And like, for me as a person of faith, like, that's what I want. Like I, I, think for me, birth is just this amazing opportunity as a woman to come face to face with like the fiery creative presence of God and to partner with that. And it's raw and it's burning and it's uncomfortable and powerful and full of his presence and full of everything hard and like, but he's in it, you know, like he's right in the middle. And I've always felt that with my kids. Um, so the Ransom's birth was so special. And uh, he's such a special kid. Um, so then Banner, he's fun. Um, <laughs> so my third child uh, was a complete surprise. I uh, got pregnant on the lamb, I guess. I don't know. Um, when Ransom was just one. So that wasn't quite our plan. Um, but it was great. His birth, and I found this with pe- talking to other people with their third and fourth births, which I find interesting. Um, I was actually the most nervous before his because I remembered the pain. Mm. Um, and maybe not everyone does that, but I remember thinking that took so much to get through and do. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm doing that again. Except now I'm doing that with very little time, what felt like very little time to mentally and spiritually prepare. I don't know if you had that experience, but that really, um, was hard for me. Mm -hmm. So I just kept saying, Lord, like you promise to be near those of us who are with young and I have a lot of young now. And so you got to help me. (laughs) Um, 
So his birth was my favorite of all of them. I, I was going into labor. I think I had, uh, I think I lost my mucus plug. This is a birth podcast. We can, this is what we talk we're about. We're saying these great. things. Oh yeah. Um, lost my mucus plug and knew things were starting to ramp up. So my kids went with my mom or wherever they went. And I don't remember. I think they, or did you take care of my kids? No, that was, that was for ransom. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Right. That was the day I got engaged. Right. Remember that? Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't remember that. I remember you telling me about it. After but the fact. Yeah. They're not connected memories because I was so out of it. I just remember being, I remember being at your house because you were in, you were in Greenville and I was helping watch Ruby a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and then that evening I got engaged. So, and then you brought, um, Ransom with you to the wedding and. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was with you. Oh my word. Thank you. You're going to have to remind me about that every time though. We will. Because we'll it is not associated, but that is amazing. <laughs> so it's a special night for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he is a special kid. Well, thanks for that. I do appreciate it. You guys made our life happen. Oh my gosh. Um, so my mom had the kids and Brian and I had like a whole day together and I'm just laboring at home as long as I could, because this was the first time I was going to be in a hospital having mm-hmm. a baby and I was not going to be sent home. I was not about that. Um, and I didn't want to go too early for any sort of potential intervention and the intervention. How far were you living from the hospital at that time? Uh, 45 minutes. Okay. I mean, central. So yeah. 45. Yeah. So I, I was with the midwives, the Greenville midwifery group and they were wonderful. Honestly, it was, it was wonderful. So with him, I actually had just the sweetest time with the Lord before we left. Lots of worship, a lot of Miss, a lot of Misty Edwards because she's just intense enough for birth. In my opinion, I'm like, <laughs> you are so wild and yes, bring this on. And I remember walking around our neighborhood with Brian and just knowing like having enough experience by that time to know, okay, we're in these last moments before this huge shift and this huge change that we are welcoming, but it's, this is all going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did, I actually started doing what I had done with ransom, but I did it for hours. So when I'd have a contraction, I would just squat because I was like, this makes things go faster. I'm doing this. (laughs) And I did that for quite a few hours. So by the time we went to my mom's to just check on the kids and on our way to the hospital, and she was coming with us as my doula, as my mom, and I was doing my squat thing. And my mom's looking at Brian like, we need to get to the hospital. And I I kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to get sent home. I don't want to get sent home. And she said, we need to go. We need to go now. <laughs> so she kind of just got us scooting there. And um, we got there, got checked in. I was far enough to stay. I think I was six centimeters. I think. I mean, who remember? I mean, people do remember these things, but I'm never like with it enough. Um, six centimeters. I come in, go into one of the birthing suites with the birthing tub. And honestly, they do a great job making it not feel super medicalized. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they run my tub, I get in and I just felt more than ever completely surrendered to the process, but also the most in control I had felt like, I know what my body is going to do. I know how this goes. 
I know how I can participate with this. I don't care what any of these people think. I'm going to moan like a crazy cow, which really helps me. Mm. Um, and I have no shame about that, you know? Mm. So, um, I think that from the time we got checked in until he was born, it was 45 minutes the, the midwife and I caught him. Um, he came out just screaming and wonderful. And the birth sent the midwives had just started having births at the hospital. And so my nurse hadn't seen a lot of women who had had a water birth at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And she kept saying, I can't believe you're so with it. Like, I can't believe you're so mobile. I can't believe da da da. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is normal for me. This is normal for me. But actually what I do remember about that birth, our mutual friend, Jordan, um, had just buried her second baby like a month before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was so heavy on my mind and my heart. And I had gone to a funeral of a baby nine months pregnant. Like mm. it was really unjust. <laughs> you know, you just think, Lord, this can't be just, you know, like, Oh, so many questions. So after Banner was born, they gave us like golden hour or whatever, where you get, you know, that hour alone. <laughs> and I'm thinking, give me more hours, <laughs> but they give me an hour alone. And, you know, I'm holding him and Brian and I just look at each other and just lose it in a way we hadn't with our others because we just had this profound, somewhat of an understanding of being given a gift that not everyone receives Mm -hmm. or is able to embrace. And man, like I've not cried that hard in a long time in many times in my life, just that feeling of gratitude you know, post-birth hormones, um, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I'll remember the most about that. And then honestly, that child is just like the most loving little person. He's so intense and loving. I, I just love that ministry he has of a lot of fierce love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that was my first hospital recovery and I hated it. it. Oh my gosh. Um, so it was my best birth. And then I just, people woke me up every 30 minutes mm. and, um, it, I, I couldn't get any sleep and I didn't like being asked so many questions. Mm. I didn't like so many people I didn't know around. Like I didn't realize that was going to be such a problem for me. Right. Like, I don't know you. Why are you here? Um, the first person I saw after he was born, so we had this little golden hour. It was wonderful, so spiritual, so powerful, sweet. Um, a woman from Billing walks in before before my nurses, before my midwife. So before you were even like in your your like, mom and baby room. Oh no, this was wow. the birth room. I, they they'd clean me up and then we're just nursing, you know. And it's someone from Billing. I'm just looking at her like, what? <laughs> what are you, why are you here? Like I will, I've signed all these papers. Like we've done everything, you know, and I was just appalled. <laughs> just it, like for some people, it's a small thing, but I just think like the last thing I need to be talking about an hour after you push out a child is my insurance. But anyway, um, so it just felt like everything kind of went that way actually. 
the whole time. So that was not positive. Um, but his birth was so wonderful. It was good. Uh, my fourth child I w- got pregnant with when my youngest was, oh, math, almost three, not quite three. Maybe he was three. Okay. He was three. I don't know. Do you? Math I, is not that important I, for moms, really. Oh my gosh. Like, ask me my kid's birthday. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and it was a really hard pregnancy. I was just exhausted all the time. Brian was working out of town. Um, had two rambunctious little boys at home while my daughter was at school. Uh, I just experienced this level of exhaustion I had never seen. And it was so hard to parent. It was so hard to like shower. It was just so hard to like, just anything was just hard. And I was struggling to find joy in that pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was struggling. So Brian was out of town one evening in late spring. And I wake up to a pop in my water breaking and I knew exactly what it was. You know, I did not pee myself because I've done that and I know what that's like. And this is not that. How many weeks along were you? Oh, okay. So I was 28 weeks. And at the time we lived at a farm, um, 20 minutes outside of town. Brian was in, uh, he was two hours away. I don't remember if he was like even answering his phone because it was the middle of the night. So I called my mom and I called a friend and my friend came and stayed with the kids and I went and met my mom at the hospital and they checked me and my test came back negative for amniotic fluid. Uh, So they kept me for a little while and then they sent me home, but I knew my water had broken. I thought like, I don't know why they're sending me home. Like I, I know what happened. I did not just have a bladder control issue anyway. So I get home probably 6 a.m. My mom has my kids and I'm just gushing amniotic fluid at this point. And I call the hospital and say, I'm coming back. I know what's happening here. But at that point, I was really afraid because it was a lot of amniotic fluid and there was a lot going on. And my baby was 28 weeks Mm -hmm. in utero. So I'm calling the midwives and they're just telling me to hustle my pants in there. I pull up and so I'm just speeding up the highway and I pull into the hospital and they have like the special parking for pregnant women or women in labor. And I totally take out the side of my minivan with um, like they have a, a communications box, like a microphone, totally take out the whole side of my minivan because I'm just so spastic and, and <laughs> just out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Had you been able to get in touch with Brian? At this point? I had at that point. Okay. And he, you know, he was still at work mm-hmm. um, because he would work four days out of town and then be home. And I had been told I was fine. So he didn't come back um, the first time. So I get there and just, you know, they get me in a wheelchair. They take me back. They test me for amniotic fluid and say like, yeah, like this is, this is it. You know, the test isn't accurate. So just so you know, friends, uh, you might want to take a few tests if someone's telling you it's not amniotic fluid, cause it might be still. So that they break the news to me that I'm going to live in the hospital till the baby comes. And it was so hard, so many emotions, so intense, so hard. But 
I was so grateful to get a break. So sorry to everyone who had to take over my whole life. Um, but that pregnancy had been so hard and just like, honestly, it was just terrible on so many levels. Um, there was some relief in it. It was very strange. But um, so for the next a little more than five weeks, I lived at the hospital and evidently women who have premature rupture uh, of membranes. So PPROM, that was me. Um, usually have the baby within a week. So every time the OBs and the midwives would come and check on me at 7 a.m. in the morning, because there's no other time to check on people, um, they would just ask like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're here. This is amazing. You're still here. Mm -hmm. There's this one OB, sweet old gentleman, like you're, he's like a papa, you know, like grandpa, um, would be overjoyed every time he saw me to the point of it was a little overwhelming and thinking, what is wrong with me then if I'm still here? Um, so honestly, even for like up until a year ago, I, I was really processing the trauma of that situation of being separated from my family, mm -hmm. of living alone in a hospital, um, my compassion for people who are constantly hospitalized or have long stretches in medicalized situations obviously has grown because as, as amazing as my nurses were, I mean, my nurse, I'm still friends with some of my nurses because they're my only friends. Um, you know, as amazing as they were, it just wasn't real life. It was just so weird. Um, so our community showed out for that situation. Like my mother-in-law came from Texas and my husband got to work from home and we had so many friends handling my kids. My mom was involved. I had a, one of my best friends potty trained my three-year-old who would, re, who refused to potty train for me. So I was in the hospital. He was getting potty trained. Okay. Other people were handling swim lessons. Um, and I had so many visitors. I had so many people come in. See us. Did you came? Did mm -hmm. I remember you coming? It's actually kind of hard to remember everyone because there were so many people, which was wonderful. Um, but man, I would be so sad when people left because it just was this weird loneliness. So I was being taken care of with the midwives, but my care was sort of transferred also to the OBs at the hospital. And they would meet every day to talk about their patient load and they would <laughs> argue over who was going to be the primary care for me. Um, cause the midwives, like we'd been through a lot together already and I, you know, that's what I preferred. Um, and the OBs were great. I mean, they were, they were wonderful. I mean, you've had them too. Like mm -hmm. they're just, they're great people. I just didn't want that. I just wanted something different. So I learned a lot about patients' rights, the things that I could demand, the things that I could expect, um, the questions that I could ask. And I realized I thought I knew a lot about that and I didn't. So I finally made the, uh, the request that the midwives would be my primary and the OBs would be backup. And <laughs> that's all it took. Look at that. How amazing. <laughs> so I was supposed to be induced on July 6th, which would have been my 34th week because I didn't, after, statistically after that time, the risks start to outweigh the benefits. And I get that. I mean... I get that. Um, through this whole five-week period, I was constantly losing amniotic fluid as well. 
which was just unsettling and praise God it re regenerates yeah. itself. And, um, so the morning of July 4th, probably 5 AM, I woke up with signs of labor. I was bleeding. I was not feeling good. I was having like just discomfort in general, some contractions. And I went into labor that day. So the day before I was going to be induced mm-hmm. and all the OBs were on vacation. So it wasn't even a question. <laughs> I know. Hey guys, hope you have fun. Um, all the OBs were on vacation. Um, the midwives were there and um, there was a resident, there was an OB resident who I'd never met, um, from a different part of the hospital system who came, mm-hmm. but I labored for a while, but I hadn't been mobile for almost a month and a half. Mm-hmm. So, um, and my baby wasn't very large, so he wasn't putting a lot of pressure on anything. He was, he was like five pounds. Um, so, uh, I just stalled out it too really hard and was just exhausted. Um, so I told my midwife, I said, I know I'm going into NICU time with my baby because of his gestational age, he was going to be an automatic admittance to NICU. And I knew I needed energy for that because I was bent on nursing. I was bent on making that as short a stay as possible and getting him home. So I requested an epidural. So I got my first one (laughs) and, um, it was, I, they'd also put me on Pitocin. That was the other thing. So I'd been on Pitocin for a while. So honestly, by the time they got around to giving me an epidural, I actually probably could have, they probably could have turned the Pitocin off and I could have gone honestly, because labor had picked up so much. Like, I think I was on the cusp of transition in a way, Mm. but I was so exhausted and like, they were all there and I was thinking, well, we're just going to do this. Like I need, I have to sleep. Like I I'm dead on my feet. So gave me an epidural through transition contractions, which was amazing. Oh my gosh. It was so intense. Um, and I had almost immediate relief except for one part of my hip that never took the meds, which was a whole other thing. Um, but my, my epidural did okay. It didn't quite take everywhere. So they just kept cranking it up. So about 3 a.m., my midwife checks me. I'm totally asleep. And she I she never said, but I think the baby was like on his way out. I could not feel a thing, never felt a thing, never felt pressure, none of it because I had I was so drugged up. But I was fine with it. I was like whatever. It was fine. felt fine. Um, so we had to wait for the neonatal team to come in, which was just weird. I mean, they're great, but weird. And my midwife, you know, we all got set up, uh, and the midwife was like, okay, go ahead and push. I couldn't feel anything, zero things. Um, but I had done it so much before I just sort of mentally, um, like envisioned those muscles and vision what they should be doing. And then just told them like, we're doing this. And I pushed him out and like, I don't know, two or three pushes. I mean, mm-hmm. something really not too significant. And the midwife had told everyone if the baby was vigorous, then she was going to let us do, um, skin to skin. And then the neonatal team could assess him. 
which I was really grateful for because I had been traumatized in the NICU tour when they told me I wouldn't be seeing my baby, that they were going to take him immediately. They were going to take him to NICU and I wouldn't see him until hours later. I, I cried so hard when they told me that. And yeah. Um, so when Cedar was born, he came out just screaming. Mm-hmm. Midwife put him up on me. Um, little boys, he peed everywhere, like immediately. <laughs> um, and he was a pound over the average weight for his gestational age. Wow. So big husky guy. He's still a big husky guy. Um, you know, he was on me for a few seconds until, well, for a little bit until the cord stopped pulsing and he was screaming the whole time and he was doing fine. Um, they cut the cord, sent him over to the neonatal team and they were so amazing and intense. And then as soon as they saw he was fine, they just relaxed and were normal people with a baby. I mean, it was very cool to see. Mm. Um, so they assessed him, the midwife, you know, I delivered the placenta and had no tearing, um, everything was great that way, which praise God. Cause then I walked around a NICU for weeks. Um, and they put him in this little cute box and brought him over to me to look at. And I looked at him and then Brian went with him into the NICU and yeah. So then that started our 13 day NICU stay, which felt longer than anything I've ever mm-hmm. done. Um, but I was obsessive, um, about pumping and nursing and bringing him home quickly and was he latching for you was he he did he was um I mean in some sense he was little and so he struggled a little to latch if I'm remembering correctly but honestly he did great I mean one thing I learned again in the NICU and I was so grateful for my time in the hospital before was the whole um piece of just speaking up not being afraid to speak up Mm -hmm. um you know, I respect our nurses, I respected our doctors. And yeah, I think sometimes what I experienced was they kind of cater to the lowest common denominator. Um, so like with nursing, um, you know, I had nurses who wouldn't even mention it, but if I would request to nurse him, they'd be like, Oh yeah, sure. You're welcome to try. And I'm thinking, yes, my baby, (laughs) um, I'm welcome to try. Okay, let's think of a different term, but whatever. Um, So I realized I could ask for a lot more than I was like being given in a sense. Mm. So I nursed him every feeding and had to fight a couple nurses on that. But on the whole, it was good. It was really positive. Um, There was a couple other things I fought with some neonatologists with, but not fight, fight. I mean, I don't want to say like that, just butted heads a bit with, Mm. but I know they wanted the best for him and I did too. And I don't think anyone had that out of sight, but anyway, NICU is just relentless and, um, stressful and traumatic. Honestly, I do feel like if families have had children in NICU, um, I, I think there's innate trauma there. Um, even just kind of in the environment, in the sense of there's a lot of sad stuff in NICU. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there were so many babies that for whatever reason had no one or who were in really dire straits or so many things. And, you know, uh, we'd be in the waiting room and there'd be some little baby's dad, like just sobbing for whatever reason. And you just think, Oh my word, this is so hard and intense and we're all here together. But Oh my word. Um, so yeah, 
So, yeah, I had to pray through a lot of that. And he, as a preemie, wasn't super preemie and really has always just done well. Uh, We left the NICU fully nursing, not supplementing at all, Mm. which is, praise the Lord, because I hate pumping. Yeah. Pumping is like, I could live without it. Yeah forever. Um, and he's just thrived and just been such a delight, such a delight. So mm. those are all my, all my kids. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Do you have any specific just encouragement, um, maybe for a parent who is experiencing, and we never talked about your the switch that you did from going from the birthing center to the hospital. Oh, right. Um, and choosing, choosing like a different type of care, right. hospital midwives versus birth center. And would you mind just distinguishing? I mean, I know we talked a lot about, we talked about patients' rights and all that kind of thing that come with the right. hospital system, but is there, are there features that are super distinguished for you that you noticed? Yeah, I guess I didn't mention that. Um, our first few births were at freestanding birth centers. We had actually heavily considered a home birth, but we just felt too far away from a hospital to feel 100% comfortable. I think now I would do it, but first time baby, you know, like uh, my home birth friends who who do that first time out of the gate, like, you're amazing. Like, look at you being so brave. And so the first two were at freestanding birth centers. And then, so Banner was such a surprise and we had paid out of pocket because our insurance wasn't covering Mm -hmm. midwives at the time, but between my second and third child, that's when Obamacare kind of came into play. And one positive thing that it did for us was cover um, certified nurse midwives. Mm -hmm. And those were at, um, happened to be at our local hospital and they, I'm really grateful that they've opened that practice because for so many women who want a want midwifery care, but have like a spouse who's not comfortable with a birth center or home birth, I think it's such a good option because it really, you know, the midwives work so hard to make it feel like a midwifery experience, like kind of what you would expect that more empowering, like woman led situation, Mm -hmm. I think. So for us, it was a financial decision. It was, are we, (laughs) We just shelled out five grand. Can we do it again? We probably can't do it right now. Mm -hmm. And this is a good second option. I was really sad about it first. I did not want to be in a hospital. It was definitely a mental shift for me. Um, It was not what I initially wanted, but it, it ended up being a a pretty good situation. I think um, not so much with the midwives, because I felt like the midwives just listened to me and let me lead the way. But I think more kind of in the hospital staff scenario, I found that I had to speak up more. Like now knowing what I know, Mm -hmm. I would tell nurses or whomever, I'm not going to see anyone during this stretch of time. We're going to sleep. I don't want anyone interrupting me because now I know I can say that and do that. Um, I didn't know that was an option before, but having lived in a hospital, so I had this experience when I was living, living on bed rest, um, of getting blood draws every few days or checking for infection for whatever reason, the blood draw people came around at 3am and would come in my room and flip on the lights and wake me up and come draw my blood. And I was a sad, grumpy little pregnant woman who's just trying to keep a baby in. 
and it did not. And I had two times in a row, um, had that happened twice in a row where they came in, they did all that. They looked at their chart and it wasn't my night for a blood draw. (laughs) And finally I talked to my nurse and said, what can you do about this? And what she did was she told the lab, you're not coming to this room at this time. And they put a sign on the door. And that was the end of that. Instead of 3 a.m. blood draws, I had 10 a.m. blood draws. But it was just speaking up and saying something instead of feeling at the mercy of something. Um, I think it is, and we've talked about this, I think it's so important to feel heard and seen by your care provider, whoever that is. And I really believe that most medical professionals, midwives, whomever, want that for you. Um, you know, I, I think it would be a really rare instance. I don't know. I, I have no statistics on this. I just have faith in humanity. But I, in my experience, most people want to work with you and want what you want, you know. But if I felt before a birth that I had a care provider who was not willing to hear me at least, I would run the other way. And I've had friends who've had to do that and have made the choice to do something different and have felt really good about that how you feel going into birth, how you feel in the experience. (laughs) I mean, it's huge, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's huge. So I think for me being in a hospital, if I were to do that again, I would probably just be saying no, not right now a lot more than I did. Um, Because with Banner, because we got no sleep the first night he was with us and so many other things, we got off on a really bad foot with nursing. Mm -hmm. And I just could not, I had no trouble with my other kids, but just could not like get it and couldn't like, I just felt like we were behind the eight ball. So at six weeks he was diagnosed with failure to thrive because we weren't nursing well and like it was not going well. And we had to regroup really fast to help him gain weight, to help my supply. We were supplementing, I was pumping like a fiend, you know, the whole thing. Mm. And I do, I personally feel like it stemmed from kind of this lackluster first 24 hours, 48 hours. But I mean, who knows really, but that's my perception of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sleep matters after you have a baby. It really does. Mm. So important. Mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. for sharing all of your stories. You're welcome. I think that it's, yeah, it's just the Lord is present in, in all the stories that you shared as unique as they each were. And I think that's again, just speaks to the Lord's creativity and the different things that he was doing for your babies and for you and your family. So yeah, thank you so much for taking Mm -hmm. the time to come and share your stories. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to remember them and to kind of reflect on them. Mm. Yep. Ebenezer. Now it's time to meet the birth worker. I'm sitting down with Abby Groves to hear more about her work as a birth and postpartum doula. Hey, Abby, thanks so much for joining us. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling us where you're located and what services you offer? Sure, Jesse. Thank you so much. I'm, this is my first podcast to be on, so I'm really excited to be with you and um, support what you're doing. Um, I'm Abby Groves, and I offer birth and postpartum doula services. And I'm here in Lyman, which is perfectly situated between Greenville and Spartanburg. So those two counties are the ones I primarily serve, but 
any of the surrounding areas are good too. I've I've driven a, about an hour to clients to support them. So, but I mainly tell people Greenville and Spartanburg. Awesome. What do you love about being a doula? I love being a doula um, because birth is such a special situation that puts all of life into perspective. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I became a doula to kind of clarify where I'm going here. The way I started as a doula is a really special memory for me. And it was also a learning from my mistakes moment because I was two months postpartum for the first client that I supported. And I tell people they shouldn't do that because I was still figuring out breastfeeding and things like that and hormones and uh, work-life balance for sure. But it was still a really special moment. Um, my One of my dear, dear friends um, had gone two weeks past her due date. And in this area, you can't often find a provider who will support you with a natural, really natural birth plan um, more than two weeks after the due date. Um, so I asked her if I could support her as an kind of unofficial friend doula. I hadn't done any training at that time. And she and her husband agreed and they tried all the things. And we, um, you know, I remember us walking back and forth to the bathroom and she was trying different positions, but eventually they did make the decision to go ahead with the C-section. And she said afterward that, Abby, I just felt this big pop as they unwedged the baby from my pelvis. Um, and it was such a special time for us. They were glad to have their baby girl. And we were just new moms. We were first time moms together and we were often in each other's homes. And this past February, in early February, um, I got the news that she and her husband had both been killed in a car accident. So I share all this because death is something else that puts life into perspective. Um, how does this tie in with dual work, Jesse? <laughs> so I'm going to show you a little bit about my thought process this year. I know God has me um, working as a birth doula. To, to remind women of that spiritual nature of what they're going through with birth. Um, Ecclesiastes 7.2, you probably know the verse, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Childbirth is one of those times that brings women to the end of themselves, um, their strength, their intuition, and their coping strategies. Um, so one reason I love being a doula is that I get the chance to remind moms, especially the Christian moms, to depend on God and to release their fears to him. You can do all the childbirth ed that you want, but if you're not releasing, if you're not trusting God with those things that you can't control, you're going to realize that you can't control it yourself and possibly panic in those, in those moments. So I love being in the birth room to cheer moms on, to remind them that God loves them and to be a calm, steadying force for 
the husband or other family member or friend that's in the room to support that mom. And one of my favorite things to do when a mom is in labor is just to turn on happy music that we can dance to. And often I don't do it soon enough, um, but it's such a wonderful distraction for everybody in the room. And um, I also love helping couples see the hand of God in their birth experiences as we're looking backwards. And I can tell you a couple of really specific situations where a family member was praying that a baby would come on a certain day and that baby did. And it, it had great significance to that family. And um, with the beginning of COVID last year and hospital policies changing, um, we could see the hand of God in one particular birth because I was allowed to stay for that birth. The next day, if, those, if that baby had been born the next day, I would not have been allowed in that birth room. And that, that Christian couple that I was supporting that day, it was really, really neat to see how they knew the hand of God was all over that. So that's one huge reason I love being a doula. And I told you before, I'll just give you one, because if I give you five reasons, we'll be here all night. Awesome. Thank you. Um, So why do you think having a birth doula is a valuable investment? Sure. To me, having a doula is so important and such a good investment because your doula becomes your personal servant in birth and any doula worth her salt is going to tailor what she does to you. Um, So I can tell you what I do with my clients. I check in with them regularly throughout the pregnancy to develop a relationship with them. And then I am able able to tailor my support to them when they're in labor. Um, I know some of my clients just want my presence there and occasional encouragement, Um, especially some of my repeat clients that have a lot of confidence in their bodies and, and in how birth works. So I might not need to be as hands-on with them and they understand they just they just want me in the room and then with other clients they want me to try all the things and sometimes it's because of a traumatic first birth experience where maybe there weren't enough suggestions offered or didn't go the way the mom wanted and so there's a little more grasping for a sense of control with the second or third experience. So I listen to that. And with, with those clients, I am more hands-on doing the mild circuit and the silly dancing with lots of hip movements around the room, the asymmetrical movements and things like that, hip compressions. But the important thing is trust um, between you and your doula. Um, And so we're really fortunate in our area. There is such a wide selection of doulas. I tell people all the time, you need to find a doula that fits your personality. And in the upstate of South Carolina, you can certainly do that. And I so appreciate when people tell me, you know, Abby, this is your niche over there. And this is my niche over here. And it's clear for us how we are really tailored to serve different populations in our community. And really you can find a doula who who suits you best. And um, most moms, especially first time moms, 
need someone with the structure and stability to stand by them no matter how the birth goes. And this is one of the big, big differences between a birth doula and a family member. Okay, so a sister or a mom, yes, they can offer emotional support. That's fine. Um, but when you are paying someone outside of your social circle, that doula has her business set up where she can give you her undivided attention. Mom, on the other hand, might have to go to work at 8 a.m. Sister might have to go back to her kids at, you know, 6 p.m. if her husband's on the night shift or something like that, you know. But a doula has invested in her business, has invested in the structure so she can be with you the whole way. And that's what I love about my doula. And that's what I try to offer to my clients. So I love just asking about childbirth education and if you have found it valuable, um, if you recommend it, and if so, what type of childbirth education you recommend? Sure. Um, for my husband and I, as we were starting out, um, the Lamaze education was really, really helpful. Um, it did go over the complete physiology of birth. And we have really leaned on the, the low moaning type breathing a lot. And we've had four babies now, and I've, I've used that with all four of my births. However, um, I would recommend a class that goes further than distraction, that goes further than coping. Because if deep down in your heart, you do not believe that you can birth a baby, naturally or with an epidural or however your plan is, um, it's not going to go well. And so I recommend a class that does go over the physiology and one that focuses on setting those harmful mindsets aside. And um, I'm really excited. Um, you may have seen recently with Ashley Macon, uh, she is starting her birthing consciously class at the end of the summer. And that is probably the closest to what I would recommend for my clients because it is setting it is about setting harmful mindsets aside and training our minds to say, yes, we we can do anything we set our minds to. That's so great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all this with us. Would you or share how someone can reach out to you? Of course. Um, my Facebook page is Rejoicing Through Birth Dual Service LLC, and my email is abigailgroves15 at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Abby. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining me today. To stay up to date on the podcast, like me on Facebook at Hopeful Birth and follow me on Instagram at Hopeful Birth Podcast. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to check out my website, hopefulbirth.com, where if you're interested, you can make a request to share your birth story on a future episode. Thanks for listening.